Do you know that certain peptides can benefit those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's? If you want to learn more about how peptides can help with thyroid autoimmunity and other chronic conditions, then you'll want to check out the brand new Peptide Summit hosted by Dr. Jenny Flagar. In fact, peptides play a huge role in helping Dr. Jenny overcome her Hashimoto's condition. To register for the free Peptide Summit, visit SayMyThyroid.com forward slash peptides. Hey, this is Dr. Eric. And in this Q&A episode, I am going to answer the question, should everyone with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's supplement with vitamin D? So while answering this question, I am going to refer to a two-part blog post I wrote in 2016, and the title is Everything You Need to Know About Vitamin D and More. And then I start off by talking about how many people are aware of the importance of healthy vitamin D levels with regards to bone health, but that vitamin D has many other important functions. And then I talk about the mechanism of action of vitamin D as well. So I'm not going to get into detail. You could refer to this blog post. And as usual, I'll make sure to include the links in the show notes, which you could check out by visiting saymythower.com. And then I talk about the difference between vitamin D2 and D3. And so when someone purchases vitamin D in a health food store, usually they're getting cholecalciferol, which is also known as vitamin D3. But when a medical doctor writes a prescription, it's for ergocalciferol, which is known as vitamin D2. And that some sources claim that both of these are equivalent, that vitamin D3 has been proven to be the more potent form of vitamin D in all primate species, including humans. And I include a link to a study And then in addition to vitamin D3 being more effective, there is diminished binding of vitamin D2 metabolites of vitamin D, binding protein in the plasma, a non-physiological metabolism, and a shorter shelf life of vitamin D2 as well. And then I get into vitamin D in the research. I present some studies on how vitamin D deficiency plays a role in dementia and cognition, and also how vitamin D plays an important role in modulating the immune system and inflammation by decreasing pro-inflammatory cytokines, and how vitamin D is also associated with higher regulatory T cells, which suppress autoimmunity. And then I present some research which shows that vitamin D might have anti-hypertensive effects in those with essential hypertension. So again, it could help to prevent high blood pressure, which in turn can help to prevent development of a stroke. There's evidence that vitamin D deficiency can be a risk for the development of peripheral arterial disease and some evidence linking linking a vitamin D deficiency to atherosclerosis. And then osteoporosis, not, not a surprise since one of the main functions of Vitamin D is the enhanced intestinal absorption of calcium. And so I bring up a few studies, link to a few studies that show that vitamin D levels are important for healthy bone mineral density. And then I show some evidence that vitamin D may play an important role in gut homeostasis and in the signaling between the microbiota and the host. So really how it plays an important role with the gut microbiome. And again, this was 2016. So I'm sure now there are a lot more studies showing this relationship And then when it comes to thyroid health, I mentioned how numerous studies show a correlation between vitamin D deficiency and autoimmune thyroid disease. And a few studies have shown that low levels of vitamin D is associated with the presence of anti-thyroid antibodies and abnormal thyroid function, and that both people with Hashimoto's thyroiditis and Graves' disease commonly have low levels of vitamin D, which isn't a surprise. And this really is the case, not just for thyroid autoimmunity, but other autoimmune conditions as well. 
I talk about some other conditions as well, autism and infections, how vitamin D deficiency can increase one's risk of developing infections, especially the flu. And then the second part of this blog post, I talk about some of the reasons why people are deficient in vitamin D. So one obviously is most people don't get enough sunlight. And this is something I've been guilty of. I have been working harder to get more vitamin D. And and really, it's not that difficult. So I mentioned how I'm working harder, but it's really just stepping outside, just blocking out the time and getting more sun. And again, I've been guilty of during lunch breaks, just get trying to get some work done and not getting enough sun. But again, I'm getting better, still need to be even better than than what I've been doing now. But yeah, that's a big problem with a lot of people. And then I mentioned latitude. Those who live in a northern latitude have a decreased exposure to sunlight during the winter and thus are more likely to be deficient in vitamin D. I also mentioned having a VDR polymorphism. So VDR stands for vitamin D receptor. And that in turn is encoded by the VDR gene and that many people have genetic polymorphisms of the VDR gene, which can increase one's risk of developing a vitamin D deficiency. And you could actually test for this by doing genetic testing. Skin pigmentation is another reason those with dark colored skin absorb more UVB in the melanin of their skin. And as a result, they require more sun exposure to produce the same amount of vitamin D. Uh, and air pollution. Air pollution can block the absorption of ultraviolet light, which is a factor pretty much wherever you live. But if you're in a larger city, then you probably have more air pollution. And then age. Aging affects vitamin D metabolism. As older you get, the less vitamin D is produced by the skin. And actually, I thought that was it, but there's two more. So one is a seventh reason is frequent use of sunscreen. A lot of people use sunscreen. And again, I can't say I never use it, but I definitely don't overuse it. I Again, if anything, I underuse it. I, don't, I really don't use it a whole lot. And then deficiency in one of the cofactors. I mentioned how vitamin D works together with numerous cofactors, including magnesium, vitamin K2, zinc, boron, and vitamin A. And then I also mentioned vitamin K2. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this know that vitamin K2 helps to guide the calcium into the bone. This way, the calcium is not getting deposited into the soft tissue, such as the arteries. And then testing. So I talk about how 25-hydroxy or 25-OH vitamin D is the marker that should be tested through the blood. And then I mentioned how some healthcare practitioners will test for 125-dihydroxy vitamin D. And it's interesting because I had a recent interview with Dr. Eric Balkavich, and he was definitely a fan of testing 125-hydroxy vitamin D. And then Dr. Ben Lynch, I think we also mentioned during the the podcast, he's very well known in the world of functional medicine, has a really good book, Dirty Genes, but I attended a conference of his, I forgot if it was 2016, 2017, and I was chatting with him about vitamin D and he was talking about, definitely was a proponent of testing 125-dihydroxy vitamin D, I think instead of 25-hydroxy, but I'm not sure. Maybe he tested both, but definitely paid more attention to the 125-dihydroxy vitamin D. And so I mentioned in this article, in this blog post, that 125-dihydroxy vitamin D is regulated by parathyroid hormone. And when someone has a vitamin D deficiency, this results in a compensatory increase in the parathyroid hormone levels. And this in turn will increase 125-hydroxy vitamin D. And so 125-hydroxy vitamin D is usually normal or elevated, 
even in the presence of a vitamin D deficiency. And this is what I learned when I was going through my master's in nutrition back in 2012, 2013. I went from 2012 to 2014. So I forgot exactly when, probably pretty early when I learned. And again, Dr. Balkavich, he said, this is a little bit outdated. I did do some research and as far as trying to see if 125-hydroxy vitamin D is tested now more frequently and didn't see any evidence of that. I think he did give some resources and I still need to look into those. But when doing research on PubMed, I couldn't really find that 125-hydroxy vitamin D is now being tested just as much or more than 25-hydroxy. So I think still overall... Most functional medicine practitioners are looking for 25-hydroxy vitamin D. Now, again, does that mean they're all right and that Dr. Bakavich was wrong? No, not necessarily. He very well might be right. You know, there's that saying, the majority is always wrong. So this could be one of those cases. So I'm trying to keep an open mind. But as of now, I'm still paying attention to 25-hydroxy vitamin D. But that might change in the future. And if it does, I'll definitely let you know in an updated podcast episode or in a post-outro chat. And then I talk about three ways to increase vitamin D levels. Sunlight, which I mentioned ideally is the best way to increase vitamin D levels. And supplementation, number two, indoor tanning, number three, which I mentioned is controversial. And I'm not going to get into indoor tanning, so you could refer to the blog post. Again, I'll make sure to include the links in the show notes at savemythower.com. So supplementation, I mentioned how I personally take 5,000 IUs per day of vitamin D3 on a wellness basis. That was, again, 2016, but it still holds true today as I still take 5,000 IUs per day of vitamin D3. And I mentioned how this keeps my levels at a healthy level, at least according to the 25-hydroxy vitamin D test. And I test typically like once a year. And then I do ask the question, does this mean that everyone should take a vitamin D3 supplement on a wellness basis? And I then say not necessarily, as some people do need to supplement with vitamin D3 to correct a deficiency, but are then able to maintain healthy levels through regular sun exposure, and then others need to supplement with vitamin D3, but don't need to take as high of a dosage. So I will say that most people who are deficient, if not pretty much everybody who's deficient, needs to take vitamin D3. Again, we're going by 25-hydroxy vitamin D. Maybe that'll change in the future. Now, as far as reference ranges, reference ranges, if you look at a regular lab like LabCorp, Quest Diagnostics, typically if the levels are less than 30, they'll conclude that vitamin D is deficient. Again, talk about 25-hydroxy vitamin D. Some will say less than 20. As far as what's optimal, that varies depending on the source. Some will say greater than 50. Some will say greater than or between 60 and 80. And then if we look at other units like nanomoles per liter, that's typically 125 is equivalent to 50. I believe it's nanograms per milliliter. So anyway, I try to keep mine above 50. If it's in the upper 50s, lower 60, that's fine. That's the approach I've been taking. Again, maybe that'll change and maybe eventually I'll start testing 125-hydroxy vitamin D. And who knows, maybe that still will show that I need to supplement vitamin D3. But Dr. Eric 
Balkavage was suggesting that maybe people don't need to supplement, at least not like they have been supplementing people taking 5,000, sometimes 10,000 IUs. And again, if someone's really deficient, I'll give them 10,000 IUs for a month or a few months and then have them reduce it to 5,000 IUs. And, and then we'll see with regular retesting, does someone need to remain on 5,000 per day? Does someone do okay with 2,000 IUs per day. And maybe again, there's some people who could just maintain healthy levels through sunlight alone. It really depends on the person. And then I finish up the blog post by asking a question, can vitamin D be obtained through diet? And then I mentioned how vitamin D is very low in the food supply and it's not found in plant materials. And it is present in small amounts in meats and other animal food sources, except in rare cases such as fish liver oils. And dairy products are fortified with vitamin D and canned salmon, sardines, and tuna can be a good source of vitamin D. Obviously, tuna could also be high in heavy metals and mercury, so you want to be cautious. But I say that overall, it's very difficult to get enough vitamin D from the diet, and it's almost impossible to correct a vitamin D deficiency through diet alone. So that is my answer to the question, should everyone with Graves' disease and Hashimoto supplement with vitamin D? Obviously, I spoke a lot more about supplementation, but to kind of summarize my answer, I think that most people with Graves and Hashimoto's do need to supplement because most people will be deficient. And again, we're going by that 25-hydroxy vitamin D test. As I mentioned numerous times, maybe things will change in the future with, with more research, but right now I'm sticking with the 25-hydroxy vitamin D test. And then as far as on a wellness basis, it really depends on the person. A lot of people still need to take vitamin D. I know if I don't take vitamin D, my levels will drop. Part of that is not getting enough sun, but even when I get regular sun exposure, I still need to take some vitamin D, and I find that's the case with a lot of people. So as usual, I hope you found this Q&A episode to be super valuable, and I look forward to catching you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And to get your free thyroid and immune health restoration action points checklist, visit SaveMyThyroidChecklist.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. I want to let you know about a product called Hepatomune Supreme, which is a unique supplement that has a rare combination of N-acetylcysteine, also known as NAC, milk thistle, and schisandra to support the liver. And it also has a few mushrooms that can help support the immune system, including cordyceps, which has both immune modulating and adaptogenic properties and is great for those with Graves' disease and Hashimoto's. To learn more about Hepatomune Supreme, visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash liver support.